The Kingdom Roots podcast is brought to you today by Northern Seminary's new learning platform, Northern Live. Northern Live allows you to engage in a vibrant classroom experience and dialogue with our premier professors from anywhere in the world. Location is no longer an obstacle to quality theological education. This smart classroom technology enables you to interact with faculty and students in real time. Now you can earn a master's degree, such as the Master's of Arts in New Testament with Scott McKnight, with a cohort of learners without leaving your faith community. To learn more about how Northern Live is streaming seminary to you, visit our webpage at seminary.edu live. Again, that's seminary.edu live. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today for our episode, we're talking about everything you need to know about the new perspective in 30 minutes. Scott, this is uh, you know quite the promise. Do you think you're up for this challenge here? Uh, yes, we're going to go, we're going to go for it and see if it can happen. Cool. Let's do it. Well, let's get started here. How about this? What is the new perspective and how did it come to be? The new perspective on Paul resulted, uh, from a centuries long simmering discontent with how Christians talked about Judaism and then used that understanding of Judaism to understand the apostle Paul. So it's very important to understand that the new perspective is a double-focused endeavor. First, it's a refreshed understanding of Judaism. And then, and only then, in light of that understanding of Judaism, a refreshed understanding of Paul. In 1977, E.P. Sanders who is, is seen by many today as the architect of the new perspective. Um, E.P. Sanders wrote a book called Paul and Palestinian Judaism. And in the first part of that book is a, an assault on German understandings of Judaism as a works righteousness, as an inferior religion, as a people who were deformed because they did not understand the proper relationship of God to people through grace. So Sanders assaulted this understanding of Judaism and demonstrated to most people's satisfaction that Judaism was a covenant-based religion and works were the result of the covenant of election and grace, and therefore works never were the means of entry Rather, they were how one maintained their relationship. Now, can I can I ask a quick qualifying question uh, before we go on? So, I'm just curious. You know, how did that thinking that Judaism was a works righteousness religion, um, you know, come to be in the first place? What was the uh, foundation of that understanding and concept? Well, there's a couple things. Uh, number one. It goes back into the, uh, let's say, the second, third, fourth, and fifth century up through Augustine, and then especially with with Luther, uh, you had very strong statements about salvation, about anthropology, the human condition, about 
uh, Judaism based on the idea of works and looking at law. So when, when people began in the second, third, and fourth century who were Greeks and Romans and people who had never had any contact with Judaism began to encounter the law of Jews, they began to see it as an inferior religion, primitive. It needed to be put, be put away. So already into, in the second and third centuries, anti-Semitism develops. Before long, everything about Judaism becomes a part of an inferior religion. So when Luther unleashed his diatribes against Jews, and some of them are incredibly ugly and coercive and, and oh, just terrible. Yeah. Uh, when you see these, you know, this is a long line of history in the church that sees Judaism as the problem. Now, I want to I start right there with, with a statement that the old perspective on Paul and Sanders and others sought to correct the old perspective. The old perspective saw Judaism as characterized by works righteousness and that it appealed to human pride and its desire to justify oneself before God. That understanding is a nexus and it's required for the old perspective. The old perspective, in other words, saw Judaism as a works religion, a works righteousness religion that appealed to human pride. And Paul was attacking uh, works righteousness religion characteristic of Judaism when he wrote the, uh, the letter of Galatians. Mm -hmm. And so all of this is, is combined into uh, the old perspective. The old perspective then sees Judaism as a foil. The new perspective sees it as the family out of which we grew. The old perspective sees it as a foil, and, and the new perspective sees it as the formative resource for understanding Ju uh, Christianity. The old perspective sees Judaism as a problem. The new perspective sees Judaism as the resource. The old perspective sees Judaism as prideful works or uh, versus the new perspective seen it as covenant restricted obedience. So the works like circumcision, Sabbath and food laws were not are, are not seen by the new perspective as prideful works, but rather as the way Jews sealed themselves off from Gentiles and Paul was trying to break down, the wall between Jews and Gentiles in the church. And, you know, to use some theological terms, I think the old perspective focuses on anthropology, the anthropology of humans trying to establish themselves before God on the basis of works. And so they, that, that same language about the works of the law is seen as anthropology, where in the new perspective, it's seen as ecclesiology. That is, these are things Jewish Christians think Gentile Christians ought to observe if they want to be fully converted to Christianity. So, Chaz, here's the point. Yeah. You made a lot of great points, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to this. What's the point? <laughs> Big idea is that uh, the old perspective sees Judaism as a problem to be overcome because of its bent toward works righteousness, and the new perspective sees Judaism as fulfilled in Christianity. So the old perspective emphasizes discontinuity between Judaism and Christianity, 
And the new perspective emphasizes continuity. So you see uh, the great line. I, I once was at an academic conference and John Dominic Crossan was debating N.T. Wright. And he said, the new problem in New Testament studies is to see how Jewish we can become. And that was a clear manifestation of the emphases of the new perspective to focus on how Christianity is a fulfillment of the Old Testament, not a breaking down of its relationship with the Old Testament. Yeah, this is great. And you know what I found you know, fascinating in hearing you talk about the foundation of the problem? I guess one of my biggest critiques that I've heard about the, the new perspective is, well, why, why do we need a new perspective? What's wrong with the old? And, and why don't we see you know, these traces of kind of this understanding that the new perspective um, supports throughout the church fathers and in church history. And so I think it's very interesting how you point out that, you know, the Romanness that Christianity became kind of set the stage um, for a, a lack of full understanding about, you know, the Jewishness of, um, you know, Christianity and what Paul was saying and what Jesus was saying and, you know, in the language and the way that they said those things. And so I think, wow, this is, this is great to look at it, not versus not not seeing Judaism as the foil, but as the family and um, you know the foundation and, and language that we get to understand our expression as Christians and followers of Jesus for what He wants us to be as the community. You know, um, Chaz, um, the argument "Why do we need a new perspective?" Mm -hmm. uh, is an argument that isn't the old perspective, the biblical one. Tom Wright has often said, in fact, it's not a new perspective. It's the older perspective. Mm. It's the original New Testament perspective on Judaism that we're all trying to capture. But the old perspective, E.P. Sanders made this very important point, is that the old perspective developed in the uh, heated debate and dialectic between Christianity or Protestantism and the Roman Catholic Church in the Reformation with Luther and Calvin. Mm -hmm. So that the old perspective tended to see Judaism the way the Reformers saw Catholics. Mm -hmm. And then they read the New Testament. They read mm -hmm. Paul's debate with the Judaizers, Paul's debate with as it were, Judaism. Paul never fights Judaism like that. Uh, they read that perspective, they read that those texts as if they were fighting the Catholic Church, so that the Catholic Church and Judaism were combined in such a way that Judaism became the Catholic Church mm. in the New Testament. Well, the, the new perspective said, no, the Catholic Church did not exist in the first century. Paul is not fighting the Catholic Church. He's fighting a completely different problem. So we cannot use, to, to capture the language of N.T. Wright, which is so clever in this way, we cannot use 15th century, 16th century problems and answers to solve questions for first century texts. We have to let the New Testament talk the way it talks. And Judaism was not for Paul a problem. He remained a Jew. Acts 23, 6, Paul says, I am a Pharisee, not I was a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. 
Paul knew that he continued to be Jewish, and the new perspective emphasizes the continuity of the Old Testament finding fulfillment in Jesus as the Messiah of Israel and the Lord of the Gentiles, expanding Israel to include Gentiles in what is called the Church of the New Testament. Yeah. You know, I think one of the problems sometimes people get hung up on um, with the new perspective is is it can be such a a paradigm shift. And, um, you know, as you've explained in the old perspective, that's a way of reading the Bible that had been around, you know, for years, especially since Luther and the Reformation, and especially something as as serious and religious and sacred as reading your Bible, to have to go through a paradigm shift like that can be really difficult to view things in a new way. And I guess I'd be curious if you have any thoughts on, um, you know, how how we can be open to going through paradigm shifts and seeing things in a, a fresh way without, you know, sacrificing our convictions and our understandings and, um, you know, our faith that, that we grew up with. Well, the, the, the move from an old perspective to a new perspective is, has nothing to do with heresy. Yeah. The old perspective people think it is at times, but they're simply mistaken on this. And, they're protecting, you know, they're sealing off their fences and all, uh, raising the fences, thickening the walls, but it's actually not that kind of problem. Let me give you an illustration. When I first started teaching this, I was teaching the book of Galatians many years ago. In my class was a, na- a man named Todd who was a Lutheran. And he had been educated in Lutheran grade school, junior high, high school, and went to a Lutheran college. So all he'd ever heard was the old perspective in the Lutheran form, in a very strong form, where law was bad, gospel was good. So when I began to talk, he he would say to me, you know, I agree with you. And I thought, wow, that's quite a change. And he would write his papers or he'd do his assignments, and it was pure old perspective. And he, he would say to me at times, I'm doing my best to understand it, but all my instincts are in the other direction. He wrote me a letter 10 years later, and he said, I have finally completed my transition. He said, I'm a new perspective guy, but it took 10 years for me to lose my Lutheran instincts. Now, he he was always a pastor during that time. He was preaching the gospel, and he was a very good pastor. Mm-hmm. So he was making this mental shift. So my my advice is is to go at it slowly, go at it methodically, work on a text like Galatians. Avoid the Book of Romans. It's it's so much longer. It's not because I think it's less new perspective, but because it's so much longer and so much more to deal with and more debates. Go through Galatians. Use a commentary like James D.G. Dunn's commentary on Galatians and just see what happens and notice the emphases that fall down on your lap as a result of the new perspective. Instead of it being focused on an individual Christian's life moving from justification to sanctification, you begin to see that the emphasis is on the church, including both Jewish believers and Gentile believers on the basis of faith and therefore forming a new kind of fellowship indwelt by the Spirit. These are both true ideas, 
uh, the old perspective and the new perspective. But once you see it in light of the new perspective, I think it expands from individualism to an individual as a part of the new fellowship, the church that includes both Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Yeah, that that makes so much sense and, and is, I think, important, like you said, that it's a, it's a process. And it, it can and probably should be a slow one where you're just honestly going through you know, the resources and, and good, diligent study. So I think this would be a, a good place maybe to ask, you know, who are some of the current main players? Um, you mentioned James Dunn, N.T. Wright, E.P. Sanders. Um, who are some of those other main players and, and helpful resources uh, to navigate uh, the conversation and what's happening with the new perspective? Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things that you hear are criticisms. And uh, uh, I wanted to uh, back up for that just because it will illustrate some of these names. Sure. And that is in the criticisms, uh, you've heard some that why do we need a new perspective? One that I heard for quite a while, uh, and I just shook my head because I knew better, was that the new perspective doesn't say anything about the Christian life. So Joe Modica, whereas the old perspective does, and I always thought, no, the new perspective says a lot about the Christian life, but it's not talking uh, the language game of the old perspective. So Joe Modica, a friend of mine who teach, who is a chaplain at Eastern University, Joe and I uh, co-edited a book, and we invited uh, about 10, I think it was about 10 authors uh, to write on the Christian life, according to the Apostle Paul, and we asked new perspective people to write the essays, and we did not ask for them to give us any points of view. We just said, we know you're kind of new perspective, and this means different things to different people, but we want to see how you understand the Christian life in Paul. So we asked Bruce Longenecker, who is at Baylor University. Mm -hmm. We asked Lynn Coick who is at Wheaton. We asked Patrick Mitchell, who is the president of uh, Belfast Bible College. We asked uh, E.P. Sanders. We asked James D.G. Dunn. I wrote an essay. We asked Tim Gombas, who is at uh, Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids. And one of my graduate students, uh, who um, is now going to become a pastor in Pasadena, California, Tara Beth Leach, wanted to explore the implication of the new perspective for Nazarenes. So I guided some research, and it got to be so good that we published this as well. And what you will notice is, and these are some names now that you can connect with the new perspective, is that each one of them brought fresh insights to the Christian life from the angle of the new perspective, showing that it is a church-based way of living the Christian life. Rather than just an individual-based way, it's also a church-based way. So to me, the major names uh, always will be, uh, it sort of got its kickoff with Christer Stendhal, but that was perfected and exploded into significance with the uh, phenomenal and groundbreaking book by E.P. Sanders in 1977. Then Jimmy Dunn gave it the name, The New Perspective, in a lecture at Tyndale, and then N.T. Wright. So those three people, really, mm -hmm. four, Stendhal, Sanders, Dunn, and Wright, have formed 
what most people understand to be the new perspective. But remember this, none of these four, Stendhal is no longer with us, but none of these four agree with one another completely. Sanders is not with Dunn, and Dunn is not with Wright, and Wright is not with Dunn, and Wright is not with Sanders on all things. So there's differences here. Mm-hmm. But in general, they know that Judaism was not a works-based religion, but rather a covenant-based religion. And of course, it had some legalistic emphases, but so does Christianity. Uh, so it was a covenant-based religion, and so therefore we cannot think of Paul as fighting Judaism per se, but fighting problems emerging out of first century Jewish Christians. Cool. Well, I hope those uh, main players are helpful for for you, our listeners. And uh, in the descriptions bar, I'll include some links to um, some of their books that you can um, you know check out. Especially um, the one that Scott and Joe edited with those ten authors on living the Christian life, um, which is actually something I'd like for us to to talk about just a little bit more. On um, you know, you mentioned the that the new perspective gives a church-based way to live the Christian life. Uh, what were some of the other, you know, just fruitful observations that came out of that book that you co-edited, um, or just other ways that the new perspective impacts the, the Christian life? You know, as I read, as I read the manuscripts, uh, one of the things that struck me is, uh, and this was something I actually wrote about in my essay, but I noticed it with everyone, is an emphasis upon uh, plural. And that is, the Christian life is about we and not just about I. That was one of the big emphases. And if you read the Apostle Paul, for instance, he talks about that we need to have the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Do we realize that we don't need gifts if we are alone? If we're just in a, a sort of a spiritual formation mold, where I'm trying to develop my relationship with my God, I don't need spiritual gifts. I need spiritual gifts because a church needs to transcend itself and to be transformed from the way they relate to one another into newness so that we're given gifts that, that bring a group, a body together. And then look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Love. On your own, you don't need love. Patience, you do, you need you need that kindness. You got to have another person to want to be kind, and over and over, the fruit of the spirit are required for the dynamics of living with one another in a church. And then, as I was studying the book of Colossians recently, uh, I noticed in chapter three, Paul just all of a sudden unleashes a list of things that are characteristic of the church, and these are all things that are the dynamic between people. So over and over, the Christian life in Paul's letters is framed, formed, described, commanded uh, as a way of expressing this is how what you're going to need in order to get along with one another and to function as a body and to glorify God as a body and to grow as a body into fullness. Uh, Our world hears so many things in purely individualistic ways. And I poked a little bit, but let me poke a little bit more at the spiritual formation movement. 
I was reading a, a book not too long ago to see what the author said about a given topic. It was a, it's a famous book on spiritual formation. And I looked uh, in the index for love, and there was nothing there. I looked in the chapter titles, and there was nothing about love. And so I skimmed the whole book, and I think love was mentioned two or three times. But all other things about spiritual formation and the disciplines and the time we have to spend and going on retreats and all this, those things were all discussed. And I thought to myself, this frames the Christian life 100% in individualistic categories, whereas Paul frames the Christian life, the essential characteristic that binds all the virtues into a unity is love that all the law is fulfilled in love. Above all things, love one another. So Paul's idea of the Christian life is to become a loving person. And here's, here's what's important. On your own, you don't need love. With others, you do need love. Paul emphasizes love because he knows the Christian life is living a life with others. So that, I think, is one of the big emphases. Notice that Tom Wright, at the end of his big monster two-volume book on Paul, sees the essence of the Christian life in Pauline in the Pauline uh, letter, lit, literature as reconciliation. Now, think about that. Uh, on your own, you don't need reconciliation. With others, we need reconciliation. So he's emphasizing, again, the uh church nature of the Christian life. Yeah, I, I love this. And I think this is going to be, you know, so helpful for our pastors and who are, you know, listening to this or, you know, church members, you know, involved in your faith community, that your Christian life isn't just about, you know, your individual commitment and, and growth in your relationship with Jesus, but that relationship, that individual relationship extends and has implications for the entire church. And, you know, in what we're trying to do with this podcast, you know, talking about how, you know, how did the kingdom take root then? How did Paul's letters take root in the communities they were written to? Well, as you pointed out, they were written to communities. And as we're to, to listen and to allow the kingdom of God to take root today in our communities, you know, we have to view it as the same way as a community, seeing how the gifts of the Spirit impact the community community and how you know it's not about just the individual but the implications and for for a community and as a pastor in a church man i think this is such a gift to be able to see the the fruit of this study and you know the the application that it has for you know our churches to to not just be you know places where we come and we do a service a weekend but that we're vibrant communities faith communities in our our cities and our towns that we live that you know we're expressions of this kingdom and and we can't do it just as an individual um, you know we need a community so I'm glad that you know, that we're the conversation has gone this way and that we're able um, you know to provide resources and a, a vision to be able um, to live out and let the kingdom take root in a more powerful way than um, than it just being a personal individual type of commitment and way to live out following Jesus. Very good. I, I totally agree. I, yeah. Yeah, 
I mean, we're on the same page here. Cool. And the New Testament uh, is talking about a church-based Christian life. Mm-hmm. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit, the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit are so communal and ecclesial, as it were, in, in shape. Yeah. Okay. So we're still under 30 minutes. Is there any last bit of, of info or insight that we need to know about the new perspective uh, before we go today? Yeah. I, here's one more thing I would want to say. In the modern, uh, in your generation, uh, Chaz, uh, if I had to say there's one word that animates your generation, it is the word justice. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that emphasis on justice is a desire to get away from the individualistic nature of the Christian life that many evangelical Christians grew up inside of. And they want to get away from that. They know that God is concerned about more than just their own personal formation. So justice is an important theme. I I don't hear enough, and I don't hear it emphasized enough of the word love in the same generation. But I believe that justice and love are very closely connected to one another. And therefore, uh, I'm grateful for this emphasis on justice because it is emphasizing a community type idea rather than just an individual idea. Now, I, I do want to push back on that at times and say that the community type life begins in the church Mm -hmm. before it goes into the public sector and the world. But the new perspective emphasizes both of those things is that in the, in fact, this is another topic, but the apocalyptic Paul uh, moves justice from just in the church into the larger cosmic realm. So we have much to learn as well from the apocalyptic people. But uh, I am grateful for your generation's refocusing of the Christian life toward the sense of justice uh, and toward, I think, love. Uh, I I find resonance with people uh, when I talk about love who are committed to justice. So that right there, I think, is an outgrowth of the new perspective's emphasis on the communal nature of the Christian life. Cool. Well, I, you fellow millennials who are listening, I hope uh, that encourages you. And um, I know, you know, personally, I'm I'm excited to see in, in our generation what God's going to continue uh, to do in and through the church and all that He has planned. Well, hey, we hope uh, our conversation today, I think we hit in under 30 minutes uh, about the new perspective, and I hope it was uh, everything that you need to know to begin um, a further investigation and insights if you haven't already done so in, you know, what is the new perspective and what implications does it have for the church? Before we go, I want to let you know you would do us a huge favor if you would leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, we would love to hear um, how our podcast has impacted you and uh, your thoughts about what we do to, to help understand how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 